Hello and welcome to Deep Space Love, a Star Trek podcast in which a married Trekkie couple explore love in all its forms throughout the final frontier. I'm Nicole Praska, one half of said couple. I'm the other half, Joe Praska. Set a course for love. Ah, yes. One of your Earth emotions. Glad I found you. Let's get married. Delete the wife. Before we dive in the episode we'll be talking about we'll explain how we got here and why so growing up uh, both of our fathers were trek fans and so we were each exposed at a young age right yeah i think um i think both of us grew up uh grew up as little trekkies we solidified that more as we're as we came to be adults of course but um for me speaking for myself i grew up watching the next generation specifically a lot with my father i uh, watched a lot of the original series and Voyager, um, but now that uh, since then I've gotten really into all the other series as well. But it's always been something that's been part of part of who I am and part of how I've uh, I've grown up. Um, it helped informed a lot of my pop culture viewing habits, a lot of what I love about science fiction, and a lot of just um, my general sense of kind of helped me define general sense of who I am to it in different times. What what say you? Well, you probably had more exposure growing up than I did. Um, Both of our fathers have since passed, and my father passed away when I was really young. So once my father passed away, I I didn't have as much exposure to it. So it was very like faint early childhood memories that I had. Um, Unlike you, who you um, your father passed away only a few years ago um, when you were an adult. So uh, we did have different experiences, but. We, we both made a return to Trek in early college, I'd say. Um, we kind of started out with some best of episodes from TOS and TNG. Uh, but then a couple years later, we decided to go through just, I don't know, we just sort of decided to go through each series starting with uh, TOS from beginning to end. Yeah, we're doing all of it, going all the way through, like chronologically, episode, 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 even even your uh, your um, thresholds of Voyager and all that. <laughs> yeah, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, yeah. But what's uh, I guess what we're trying to say is that it's it's Star Trek for for us, and I think for a lot of fans out there is is definitely like a connective tissue between family and friends. So for us, it's in some ways, it, 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 you know, both of our fathers are no longer here. It's a, it's something that we can feel connected to them still in some way, and have since built a connection between ourselves. And it's something that's just part of part of our relationship in that way I think so that's why one of the big reasons we wanted to come and talk about it yeah and I mean briefly our history we started dating in high school so high school sweethearts Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but then we were married in really late college Um, and this fall we'll celebrate 10 years married so yeah Trek has been a part of our relationship for our own relationship for many many years um and so what's love got to do with it, Joe? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Why are we making a podcast about love and tra- Star Trek? I don't know. Why are we? <laughs> well, love is an ever-present part of the human experience, wouldn't you say? I would. And Star Trek at its core is about exploring humanity? And the human experience. So while relations and relationships in Trek are often discussed, you know, elsewhere all over the place, we couldn't find a place that exclusively focused on romance and love in Star Trek. Um, Maybe it exists and we just didn't find it, but I don't know. (laughs) We thought we'd take it on. Yeah. so We'll do our best. We could fill fill that niche. So, And since we watch Trek together, we already exchange our thoughts and opinions 
about it. So now we're just going to do that with a mic on. And that being said, we hope to be able to feature guests on here, provide a space for different voices and perspectives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah. Who knows how where this will go? We're, we're starting with just us. But uh, in the future, it could be all sorts of different things, different people joining us, different perspectives, uh, maybe in different kind of different kinds of love. Maybe we'll go different capacity. Who knows? But the goal is to, to just look at love in all its forms throughout uh, throughout different iterations of Star Trek. So we're uh, as maybe if you've read the title or know what this is about or read the episode description, you know, we're talking about a TOS, the original series episode, but we hope to go through all of the series in different capacities, all of them from the original all the way up through Picard, Lower Decks and what's to come. Yes. So Joe, um, you sort of started, just continue describing the episode that we're going to talk about today. Right. We're talking about the, the original series episode, The City on the Edge of Forever which is a first season episode. It was 28th in, in the order of airing from uh, 1967. So a while back, a little bit ago. Um, most Trek fans know a lot about this episode. It's a pretty popular one. And even even non-Trek fans, it's pretty popular in pop culture. But if you, if you perhaps need a refresher, it sort of tells the story of Dr. McCoy. After accidentally injecting himself with a powerful drug, he, uh, he flees the Enterprise in like a sort of hysterical state, beams down to a planet where they find this mysterious uh, time portal, the Guardian of Forever. He goes back in time, messes all sorts of stuff up, and effectively the Enterprise disappears and everything that, that the landing party uh, is aware of is gone. They are, they are left there since they're in the presence of the Guardian, and, they, uh, and then it's up to Kirk and Spock to go back in time through the portal, through the Guardian of Forever, to stop McCoy from doing whatever he's, he's going to do to erase most of history or change most of history. Um, so ultimately, it's a story taking place in, in the past. That's a, I think that's a good short synopsis, right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So shall we get into it? Yeah. You've got some trivia to share? A little bit, a little bit. Um, this is, so as I mentioned before, this is a pretty popular episode. It's... Um, it won the 1968 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation and has kind of since become one of the more iconic episodes of the original series. It's, it was also written by uh, one of the famed science fiction author Harlan Ellison, who um, famously wrote the story I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, among a lot of other sci-fi stories. But uh, famously, he was actually not happy with how this episode turned out. Did you know that? No, I didn't. What was his deal? Yeah, they made a lot of changes to it. So as many Trek fans know, Gene Roddenberry kind of has a very, very particular vision about how he wanted Star Trek to be at the time, right? (laughs) So some of the things that Harlan Ellison wanted to do didn't quite jive with the way Roddenberry pictured Starfleet and Starfleet crew members. So in in his original script, um, it wasn't McCoy who went back in time. There was actually like this under, under the under the table like drug ring going on aboard the Enterprise with a crew member who was leading it. So um, it was this crew member named Beckett, Beckwith, I think. Beckwith, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, he was dealing a narcotic called Jewels of Sound. Then when Beckwith is exposed and discovered, he escapes the ship and flees the Guardian of Forever. Then the time portal in, this, in, that, in his version, in Ellison's version, was guarded by like godlike bearded robe figures kind of like uh kind of like the per- the portal personified almost like what we see in discovery mm-hmm. right so he had an idea of like the par- the portal could be like a person in a sense too um so they're basically kind of like epic fantasy looking wizard dudes right hmm. um 
so the landing party beams down and in, in Harlan Ellison's version after Beckwith like changes the past uh, the Enterprise becomes a pirate ship so it has elements of like mirror universe what we what we would come to see the mirror universe look like too mm. so it's kind of it's kind of interesting quite maybe a few those changes seeds were planted yeah maybe actually i'm not sure if where the mirror universe episode oh, no yeah. yeah i think that yeah mirror universe is season two mirror, mirror, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so maybe the, some of the seeds were planted from there yeah but um th- but you can actually go back and look at harlan ellison's original script i think it was published he, he published an original teleplay of it in 2014 as a book and there's a graphic novel interpretation of it, of that original version that came out in 2015. So if you want to read what that was originally going to look like, there are options out there for you. Yeah, I can see how having an undercover drug ring on the Enterprise was not in line with what Roddenberry would Not Roddenberry's wanted, jam. Not yeah. Roddenberry's jam, yeah. So yeah. Well, I think the change made to kind of a accidentally injected McCoy going a little crazy, I guess going really crazy mm. and kind of... It fit. Yeah. 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 So what do you think of the episode overall? I mean, it, like you said, it's classic. It's iconic. So, I mean, it's hard not to love. Um, and especially, you know, I mean, with the ending and kind of how heartbreaking it is, it starts out pretty silly, really. I mean, you know, McCoy, I mean, it, it does seem kind of fabricated. Like, how can we get these people down to this planet for whatever reason? And why would somebody jump back into the portal and you know change time and stuff so but then by the time you get to the end of the episode it's you know it's profound in this way and bittersweet and sad and um kind of leaves you with like a gut punch feeling at the end mm-hmm. yeah and they and they curse right shatner uh kirk says let's get the hell out of here oh yeah that was a pretty big deal risque really risque yeah no i really like it too i mean it's it is iconic for a reason i think for me, this episode has a lot of what I like about original Star Trek, and I feel like much of that is is how how well that original series could lean into almost Twilight Zone-esque elements where the crew would encounter something just truly uh, un- incomprehensible for them. Like they could kind of maybe m- make out just a little bit of what of this Guardian of Forever and what it could do, but ultimately they, they, they end the episode kind of where they began. They know nothing more about it. They just know that it has this like incomprehensible amount of power um, and this awe-inspiring power to do all sorts of stuff. And, and as I think we see in Discovery later on, like that power has been manipulated and used, which is why the, the Carl character moves on. But um, in this case, like it's, it is very Twilight Zone-esque. It's like, well, what did we just encounter that, that, that could have just wiped out our entire existence and everything that we know, and then they leave. So... Uh, but on top of that, it just has some cool sci-fi sci-fi notions like the time travel. Um, I really love like Spock just collecting things to make like a TV to look at future newspapers at the time or whatever he's doing, like trying to figure out what's happening. Like he's like how he needs heavy metals for his quote hobby. Like, <laughs> yeah. That stuff is just it's just fun. And and them trying to like hide hide their knowledge of the future and the past, it's um, I don't know. It's a really fun time travel story. Time travel can be way overdone and can be not great, I think, sometimes. But one thing Star Trek tends to do, which is kind of nice, is not get into the nitty gritty of like how the time travel works. They're just kind of like, well, it just happened. And, <laughs> and here are the consequences and the philosophical bits of it, which is which I think is kind of funny. Because when you o- try to over explain the time yes. travel is when you get weighed down so much. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just doesn't pan out as well. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this while we were watching the episode. It's interesting to note that because we're now in what year is it i I can't remember anymore it's 2021 2021 thank you and 
this was, you said, aired in 1967. And they go back to, what's the year specifically they go back to? 1930 during the great Depression. oh okay yeah. it was the 1930s so it, depression time it's a little yeah, before that's... world war ii it was it was re, it was uh world war one had not long before it ended because some of the some of the uh like homeless folks that she, they work with they're like were you a veteran of the war were you in the mm-hmm. war yeah that's right so but i guess like it wasn't really that far back like you know like 67 to 1930 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was it was only i mean like now more time has passed between (laughs) between when the episode aired and where we're at today so they were actually closer to the past yeah yeah it's so wild to think about like just the imagery of it watching in like 1930 seems so long ago but like yeah for that when that aired it it was like it was 37 years ago right it was Mm -hmm. like for us like what 30 some years ago like the 90s or like the late 80s that feels that feels like movies from then feel like not that long ago exactly yeah, so it's it's interesting to kind of contextualize that way. I see your note about how the outfits are really cool. <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to write that down. The, the, just just damn, like the outfits, like ah, oh, that's one of my favorite parts about this episode. Kirk's pea coat, Spock's pea coat, the beanie, <laughs> the deep V like flannel. Of course, it had to it's be deep. So v. stylish. I want to cosplay <laughs> that. You, I mean. You basically wear that in every day. I, I try my best to. Yeah, I just gotta like. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 great. The outfits in this. I mean, even her like um, Edith Edith Keeler, who we're gonna be talking about a little bit more. Edith's outfits, like the wardrobes on this this episode were top notch. Yeah, for Depression era. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I liked it, and they stole them. They didn't Kirk and Spock. Oh, they just yeah, stole they their did. outfits. Yeah. Which led to, of course, the you know the the casual racism that we sometimes will see that didn't uh, didn't age well at all and probably shouldn't have been in the episode right when they when yeah. he says like spock's chinese Ugh. because of the way he looks Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. yeah not good yeah i mean i love these episodes definitely not perfect it's one of the hard parts about watching tos yeah i mean even some of the uh, 80s or 90s track too has some true of it too but yeah, some, true but you definitely can it's, it's a little more blatant in your face sometimes in these older episodes yeah yeah um for, so for those listening if if uh if you are familiar with this episode or or maybe not so much the guardian of forever the time portal does appear in a few more um pieces of star trek media have you do you know what i'm talking about besides discovery no so it does appear in discovery it appears in the third season of discovery the terra firma two-parter uh you will also you could also find the guardian of forever in a, the animated series episode from the 60s which was um, featured most of the original cast repi- reprising their roles and as voice actors. Yeah, we um, haven't gone through that one we yet. Have, we haven't watched it as much yet. But uh, the episode Yesteryear features The Guardian, as well as a lot of uh, uh, comics and novels in the EU. Most notably, um, I would say Peter David's Imzadi novel, which I would like to cover on this podcast sometime. Uh, that's a really cool one, but that has The Guardian heavily too. It's a cool it's a cool concept that we don't see a lot of, and I think, and I, and I actually kind of wonder if maybe that might be why it's so cool. Like, when sometimes things are taken and explored more and more, like I said with time travel, when you kind of dig into it more, that could be a benefit. But sometimes like when something like mysterious like this, I like that it's left mysterious. Sometimes less is more. Sometimes less is more. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think needless to say, we, we like the episode. There's a lot to love about it. And um, it's iconic for a reason, as I said before. But um, diving into... What we're here for. What we're here for. The love story. That was a weird way to say it. What did I do? Love. I don't know. What Stop. Do you... No. Stop. Love. You love say story. Yeah. yeah. You, you do it better than me. You were trying. I tried. 
So the love story, the love story at hand. You want to dig into what 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 is that? What does that look like for us? Well, it's very brief, very fleeting, and like I said, bittersweet. Especially if most listeners have watched this episode, they know how it ends. Um, like you said, you've got a note here. I kind of like it. I just read it. Um, it does seem you read this from an article. You say mm-hmm. more deserving of the term star-crossed lovers, a man from the future. I mean, literally from the stars, according to her, and um, and then a woman ahead of her time, which is probably where their attraction kind of happens, since um, she does seem ahead of her time. She's not as she seems to have inklings that uh, uh, Spock and Kirk are not quite from her time there's something off about them but she's not turned off by that she's intrigued Mm -hmm. and um and of course because she has this sort of dreamer personality and you know working for the greater good kirk you know can't help but fall for that in edith keeler and again so she's attracted to the possible future man in front of her she doesn't know it but um i think we could say she might suspect mm-hmm. yeah so so edith keeler the character edith keeler that we meet in this uh this episode is played by uh the actress joan collins and she was a pretty pretty big guest star for the show at the time um started at she's an actress who started acting at age nine so she's been in in kind of that spotlight for a long time but she has such a storied career uh, as an actor in Hollywood and and even in London and England, some film over there and stage productions. So she is she has a, a presence. powerhouse mm-hmm. in this episode and just a powerhouse in general. Like, what is she? She's been tons of TV, tons of movies, uh, big in the soap opera Dynasty in the 80s. She um, recently was an American horror story. Uh, and she's also a writer and columnist, has written a couple of best-selling novels. So she, in real life, is a powerhouse, I think. It sounds like it. Yeah. I don't know much about like who she is personally, but sounds like just accomplishment wise, like she's done quite a bit and she, she definitely brought it in this episode. She was a standout and it's one of the big reasons we wanted to start with this episode. I mean, other than it's a famous episode, but just her, her character is so, so cool and so interesting to, to watch. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's all, it's obviously helped by the performance, but the, the writing too is really good as well. Um, but, but the interesting thing about her, um, in terms of love interests, like, and you don't always see this in these older episodes. Like sometimes the love, love is not always presented in the most progressive of ways. And sometimes in these old episodes, but, uh, Edith Keeler is, as you mentioned, like she's, she's intrigued. She's fascinated. So she's presented as very, uh, very capable, intelligent and, and ahead of her time. Right. Um, she's able to kind of match wits with Kirk uh, and Spock. And, and she feels like a really full and like lived in character that we're not just like, she wasn't just designed for this episode. She feels like somebody who's had back, who has backstory, like that's mm-hmm. believable in the, in the story, I'd say. Yeah. Despite the mere minutes that she's probably actually on screen, it does feel like she, like you can imagine what her life was like before Kirk and Spock showed up. And, um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, that's another thing I guess about the, you just kind of pointed out, um, especially love interests, particularly Kirk love interests, <laughs> um, are generally, you know, and, and, I mean, she's she's obviously beautiful, but I definitely get the sense in this episode that, like I just mentioned, it seemed more like the personalities were what was the attraction, the force of attraction, as opposed to Kirk being like, ah, she's she's hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's let's chat up. Like, he was definitely interested in like what was going on in her mind and in her heart. Right. Yeah. And and as we mentioned before, she's 
considered like a like a woman ahead of her time. That's sort of the crux of the episode, right? We find out that we ultimately find out spoiler alert for a decades old episode that when McCoy comes back in time through the Guardian, he saves Edith Keeler from being killed in an accident. She goes on to to advocate against war again for peace. Um, a lot of the ideals that the Federation, as we see it in the series, stand for. However, those that advocacy ends up delaying the U.S.'s entrance into World War II and allowing the Nazis to gain uh, whatever advantage they needed to actually win the war and basically flung us into a dystopia. So they talk about how she was right, but at the wrong time. Uh, that Hence, a woman ahead of her time. So it's interesting. That is a notion that I think is fascinating to dig into there's a lot you could unpack there it's kind of black mirror in a way like the black mirror show where it's just like there's kind of like something like that where you know you like you have the right ideas at the wrong time but um i don't know it i just i don't, I don't know what i'm where i'm going with it but i think there's a lot there's a lot there that like the idea that these 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 all ultimate morals that we all want to uphold and like the federation is said to uphold like that there's a place in our history where those 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 values just wouldn't work, like you know that's that's a that's an interesting concept and kind of kind of hard to hard to take in a sense. Yeah, especially you know ultimately you know, the decision that they all have to make in like letting her die. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean I don't know if like it, they were you know wrong wrong time or wrong place, but I mean those are always those should always be. But I guess those should always be like the morals and philosophy, but I guess, you know, it's kind of the gray area in which Star Trek often operates. Yeah, that's true. That is another reason this episode does stand out is, is it, it does feel kind of gray in that regard with the morals. Like, I mean, there, it's a trolley problem, right? Like he, not really trolley problem, is it? But like, maybe kind of. kind of is, but like you have to let, he had like Kirk and Spock, our heroes have to let somebody die in order to like, let the, the future that they know come to light they and and when doing what would normally be considered the heroic thing saving that person like you're you're leading to a worse path and that's that's a hard thing to take and actually um honestly this for for me this is one of shatner's like finest out, outings too i think you know he mm-hmm. he's obviously he can ham it up with the best of them and we know that but like i sometimes feel like when he's playing grief is sometimes when we see the spotlights of his best acting like i'm, I'm reminded of in Star Trek Three, the search for Spock, when his son David is killed, and he's just you know backing into his captain's chair and he falls, he can't even sit on the chair and he falls to the ground. He's like, "You, mm-hmm. you Klingon bastards! You killed my son!" Like that scene, like one of his most powerful acting scenes. And I feel like this part when he when he stops Bones from from saving uh, Edith Keeler from the from getting hit by a car, like you know bones is like do you know what you've just just done jim and he's and he, he just wordless says nothing but it's all on his face and he just you know closing his eyes he's hugging he's just gripping bones it's just it's such a powerful moment and i again i think that like this like smaller subtle moments from shatner are some of his best agreed yeah yeah i don't know less is more less is more i guess that's the theme of the episode isn't it i guess it is yeah so and you know and it's in, i find it interesting too um you know we're talking mccoy you know he's kind of the catalyst for this episode but um just like true to his roots and as a doctor even when he was kind of i mean i guess we don't know whether because he kind of recovered from his accidental overdose of i don't remember what the drug's name is but i think it's a made-up sci-fi thing. i think it is made up but (laughs) but he's he's recovered at least in 
this version where Kirk and Spock have come back. And so he was like with it when he was about to save Edith. But um, I guess we don't necessarily know that. Oh, that's a really interesting point. I didn't really think about Yeah, the fact that when he was when he kind of lost his like mental faculties or, you know, he wasn't really like what well, he was kind of like going mad. Uh, we you always assume that he like what he was mad and he went back and like did something crazy, but it was no he was back. He's kind of like had re- regained his sense of self and who he was. Um, his paranoia had disappeared, and that's when he actually made the decision. That yeah, is it, McCoy, like you know, his instinct yeah. to save people. Mm-hmm. And again, like you pointed out, kind of the ironic twist in that he had to let go of that in that moment in order for things to be as they should, I suppose. Yeah, no, yeah, that's good. So Kirk and Edith, though, you know, and so Spock can see this happening from a mile away, of course, since he's warning, even before they know ultimately why, what they're there to do or what event they have to prevent from happening or whatever, even before they know all the facts, Spock's like, I don't think you should get attached, basically. Yeah, yeah, there's that moment when uh, she, like, trips down the stairs Mm -hmm. and Kirk saves her and Spock's like, she could have died know, right then. That could have been. That could have been it. <laughs> Come on, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I guess it's a. It's almost like the universe was trying to kill Edith. Yeah. It's really terrible, but at least I don't know. I mean, at some point, like, you know, there's the line where Spock reveals to Jim, like Edith Keeler must die in order. Yeah. And it's like, well, at least they didn't have to like actually like take her out. They didn't have to do the deed. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. would have been dark. That too dark, yeah. Yeah, but that, I don't know. That was on my mind when I watched the episode. I'm like, you know, I mean, good thing it didn't come to that. Right. Yeah. It's a uh, for as much praise as we're heaping on it, and for as good it is, like I think, um, I mean, there is something to be said for like it's it, it kind of like, I guess I don't know at the time if this was a trope, but the notion that that the woman kind of has to die, right? Mm-hmm. That does, you know, that is a kind of an unfortunate thing. Yeah, for as intelligent and capable as she's, you know, made out to be and, you know, very more than two dimensional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This like awesome female character, like the ultimate twist in the plot was that she had to die. Yeah, Yeah. that's. Yeah. Like she has to die for the plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Shitty. Exactly. Um, But it does. It kind of reminds me a little bit. Like it reminds me of in Star Trek for the voyage home, Dr. Jillian Taylor, uh, Catherine Hicks character and how she is a little bit ahead of her time too right she's and she when she meets Kirk like they, they have they have a it's a little flirtatious there's not much of a romance there but there's this kind of connection where she doesn't quite feel like she belongs in her time and he sees this kind of potential in her a little bit um, and even though he's not he doesn't try to bring her to the future like she kind of like worms her way onto this ship and like mm-hmm. surprise you know that moment and then goes to the future and joins the federation and of course we never follow up with that again but um like it's that almost, could have been Edith it's, yeah so just thinking like that that wouldn't it wouldn't have been great if like that could have been a thing like they could have just brought her to the future i mean that would have had, it had to be serialized storytelling where that's you added a new character i guess maybe but who knows i mean there's just another alternative but so many people disappear yeah oh all the time but at the same time, like if that would have happened, I, I wonder if the episode would have hit as hard and would have been as iconic as it was. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. I guess, yeah, sometimes when it's too clean of an ending. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The the Clark Gable. I love the Clark. Or my, what did she say? My 
my, my young man my young man my young man has taken me to a clark gable film that's really sweet it's super sweet i want to they didn't even get to go on their date why don't you call me your young man i guess you are younger than me that's true six months everybody so it's not weird <laughs> i don't know i'll think about it okay <laughs> shall we get into our rating yeah so one thing we kind of developed for this podcast is uh i guess a rating system for lack of a more cool term of our overall thoughts on the relationship in the episode or whatever relationship we're the talking relationship about. in question the love story in question or the whatever in question that we're talking about we have a rating system a patented rating system that patented. we will we will get into here do you want to explain it or should i see we've got we can go back and forth five it's a five point scale it's a five point scale um basically we just came up with fun trek terms for each level um and so we'll start at the bottom red alert <laughs> Red alert. Red alert is a super toxic, bad relationship that we think was something that should be avoided at all costs. Or it was good that it ended. Good that it ended, yeah. Or the episode handled it poorly. Yes. Yeah. Then we have a yellow alert. Yellow alert. Which would be yellow caution. Yeah, caution. Little, I'm not sure about this one, yeah. Yeah, um, probably less than positive, but not necessarily on a toxic level kind of like one we wouldn't want to see fleshed out further yeah or yeah it was just done and done at that point yeah yep over and done and then we have fascinating fascinating and fascinating is okay okay i think we're into this yeah this is this is pretty good yeah could could use some more could use a little bit more there's some flaws some drawbacks but we're, we're into it yeah kind of that neutral not bad but you know could mm-hmm. be better yeah and then of course the next step up we have our <laughs> uh Fully functional. I am fully functional. Which means... This is the one you really wanted to add. This is the one I like. I, I the term this you in, wanted to add on the list. Here, yeah. yeah, so... But fully functional is, is, a, is, a, is a go. All, all, all systems point to go. This is a good relationship. We think, we think highly about it. Um, in our humble opinions, we think it's a good one. Uh, a positive relationship for the most part. Um, maybe a little bit of flaws here and there, maybe some things we'd tweak if we were writing or anything or, or critique from our, you know, armchair critic spots. But yeah, fully functional, positive. And at the very top of the scale, the five out of five is resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. Okay. Okay, I had to say it, sorry. Where basically just five out of five stars, two thumbs up, we too much to resist. Too much to resist. Too hot. Yes. Hot, hot, hot. Too hot to handle. Yeah. Yeah. Or cute. Or cute. I guess or it could cute. be cute. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be. Or or just like pleasant or positive. Yeah. Or just like good. It's it's just the best. It's like we have no faults in it. We're all we're all about it. So mm-hmm. perfect. I mean not perfect, but good as relationship. As close as you can get. Good depictions and all that. <laughs> so we like it. So resistance is futile, hard to resist. Exactly. Yeah, that's our rating system. And, and we'll detail that, of course, more as we come on. And folks who are regular listeners of the Deep Space Love podcast will hopefully get a good grasp of that as we go. Mm-hmm. But um, do you have a thought? Do you have a thought on our rating scale? Where do you think the relationship between Jim Kirk, and Edith Keeler, and the city on the edge of forever stands on our five-point scale? Well, so I think perhaps for each relationship or episode that we do, 
will each give an opinion. Mm-hmm. And so for me, on um, between Jim Kirk and Edith Keeler, I rated it a fascinating. Mm. Um, it's obviously, basically, it is fascinating. Like we're kind of talking about, um, you know, star-crossed lovers, man out of time, a woman ahead of her time. Um, I think like it was, it was kind of adorable while it lasted, but there was really no way it was ever going to like work on a long-term scale. So yeah, I don't know if, yeah, I couldn't really put it at like a fully functional cause it didn't function for very long, <laughs> but it was, it was cool and interesting. Also it had a really sad ending. So what did you rate it? I gave it a fully functional. Okay. Tell I me why. Um, some of the reasons that you said I is why I didn't give it the resistance is futile level, but um, I liked it. I liked the relationship quite a bit. Um, it feels like, for the most part, they're presented as equals. Um, although it's clear that there's a lot that Kirk isn't telling her, right? He's holding out. So the relationship ultimately is sort of built on some secrets, even though that's kind of eking out as we go. That's that's why I, I'm, I didn't put it as a full-on resistance is futile. I thought it's still pretty good. Still some secrets, still some problems there, right? But um, there isn't this sense of uh, any, like, hard to get or... Kirk has to like win her over kind of thing. And I really appreciate that, 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 that we didn't have any of that. And I thought that's impressive for like the storytelling at that time too. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel like just contextualizing there, it, it, it's, it, it bumped it up for me a little bit more. Uh, it just okay. feels very mutual. It feels very respectful. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just felt, I felt pretty good. If, if I, I, what I wrote in my notes when I was actually writing this, I already talked about, but like it'd be, better if she was able to come to the future with them like for, it'd be better for them as if they were real real characters like i would mm-hmm. be happy for them but in, in terms of the narrative structure it's like again we talked it's more powerful this way i'm sure but um yeah for me it's a fully functional okay yeah well thank you for joining us um for our first episode so we mentioned in our teaser that we plan to release monthly so tune in next month this will be released in april And so um, come back in May and look for uh, what will be our second episode. Do we want to say, we kind of planned what we're going to go over. Do you want to give a tease? Go for it. Yeah, what is it? We will be launching a little bit further ahead in Trek franchise to a Lower Decks episode. Oh, and that's why you said tune in a homophone, right? Tune, T-O-O-N, because it's a cartoon, right? Sure. Yeah. If you like what you heard and you want to find us online, uh, we're on Twitter at DSLovePod. And if you really liked us, you can leave us a five-star rating or just any good rating wherever you are listening to this podcast. Thank you very much. And until next time. Love long and prosper. Prosper.